thank you so much for making the decision to be here today, and I pray that the Lord's words today would move you in a deep, deep way. And I'm going to try to get through this word, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. If we can put that up so we can go into the Lord's word today. But before I get there, can we bow our heads? Let's invite the presence of the Lord into this word because he's already here with us. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing at One Life. Thank you, Father, that even for those of us who have been here for a long time or for those of us who are first-timers here, Lord, that this word is for all of us. And those who have an ear to hear, let them hear today, Father, that they would set aside their pride. And if you were calling them unto yourself this morning, that they would make a decision to be bold and say, I'm here. Or in Spanish, aquí, I am here. Yes, Lord, I receive. Lord, change our lives through your word today. We ask this of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I said, he who has an ear, let him hear, because... Like a number of sermons I've preached here, we're talking about the issue of pride. And our pride can get in the way of us receiving a sermon about mercy. Because if there's something I know and I'm sure of regarding mercy is that everybody in this room struggles with giving mercy. Even though you might consider yourself to be a good person. And I'm not saying you're not merciful I'm saying that for a moment we might struggle. We question whether the person who we are to give mercy to deserves my mercy. No, she, she mistreated me. He did this to me. No, he's not, no, he's not good enough. He's not worthy of that mercy. But here we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. If I can just look at merciful for a moment, right? Full of mercy. Not just from time to time show a little bit of compassion, but who are full of mercy, blessed are those. For they what? For the response for giving mercy is to get mercy. Today's text brings us to the conversation and teaching about mercy. Something, again, that each and every one of us has much experience with, either with being good at receiving it, but bad at giving it. I hope you got that. We all want it, but we never want to give it. But we all have at least one experience with mercy. A time when you did something that deserved punishment or consequence. We've all been children. I guess not even just children, just done something wrong in your life. But somehow it never came. We knew we deserved punishment or consequence for something we did, but it never came. Or perhaps it wasn't as bad as it should have been. That's mercy. Maybe it's not all directly from God, but indirectly through others perhaps. But you didn't get what you deserved. So what is mercy? I'd like for us to go to Psalm chapter 32. And read to you from verse, verse 1 through 5. If you've noticed over the last couple of weeks, we make a lot of 
relation between the Beatitudes and the heart of David because he expressed much of these. In Psalm 32, verse 1 through 5, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And I'm sorry, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. Please grab it, use it, take it home if you don't have a Bible. The word of the Lord reads again, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. If you have your Bibles open, I'd underline that. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Once again, King David giving us a living example of the good news of God's mercy. Here we see David mourning over his own sin and revealing his poorness in spirit. The Beatitudes make a lot more sense, although they are pretty inexplicable, they make a lot more sense with the poorness in spirit, which is why I believe the Lord puts that first, to recognize our posture as ones who are broken and in need of Christ. It helps us realize that, hey, you know, this mercy thing, I'm not good at it. The mercy, because I went to Google, of course, Mercy means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. I was going to my logo system, and I was looking up biblical definitions of mercy, and I kept coming back to this bootleg definition, supposedly, on Google because I loved the way it presented this. Let me read that back. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. For there to be mercy, there must be wrong. I want to start first by going to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7b. For they shall be shown mercy, for they shall be given mercy. If we recognize God as the God of mercy, we concurrently admit and recognize that we are guilty of wrongdoing. If God is a God of mercy, that means that we are needing of mercy and that we are guilty of wrongdoing. Can you admit today to yourself that you are guilty of wrongdoing? Do you believe that in your heart? In that last song we sang, Jesus make new wine out of me. My wife said, in the pressing, in the crushing, now, we know Jesus can make water into wine like this, right? But sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he doesn't because he knows that we won't learn without the process. The pressing, the crushing is not evidence that God is not with you. Even in Christ, there might be pressing and crushing, and what might come out of that is good wine. And we should desire a new wineskin, that the old one would burst, 
It's too good of a wine to be held in old wineskins. It'll rip, it'll tear, it'll drip, it'll spill. Jesus, make a new wine out of me. The God who is merciful towards me, a wrongdoer, worthy of punishment, but a receiver of your mercy. I love that this definition doesn't just emphasize the compassion and forgiveness of mercy, but also puts weight on who is providing that compassion and forgiveness, this definition. It is the one who has the authority to punish or harm the wrongdoer. That's the Lord unto us. Because where can I go that you will not find me, says Scripture, right? So he knows all of the things that we do wrong that are deserving or needing, not deserving, but needing of his mercy. The one who has the authority to punish or harm the wrongdoer. That's the beauty of mercy. The one who gives it is somebody who can oppress upon the person needing the mercy consequence and punishment, but instead what they give them is a raising of the head. Remember we talked about the raising of the head? When someone who was guilty would come before the king, they would kneel, bend over, and if they were guilty, if they were found guilty by the king, a foot would go on their neck. But if they were found forgiven or not guilty, their head would be raised. What a beautiful sight. The Lord unto us. Mercy is senseless, however, to the sinful heart. To someone who has no understanding of their own need for mercy or someone who thinks so highly of themselves. This is the slippery slope of a strong self-esteem. Mercy makes no sense and so it is not necessary to those who struggle with seeing their own brokenness. And the world says, you did the crime, now you need to do the time, right? Perhaps that's many of us today. Because I've even sat with some of you where you are struggling with somebody who hurt you. And how do, I, how do I forgive? God grants us his forgiveness. He grants us his mercy and never goes back to that mess we made. We, on the other hand, no, I've forgiven. But the minute we have the opportunity to go back to that pile, we go back. Not all of us, but some of us do struggle there in our marriages. Babe, I thought you forgave me for that. Oh, I did. Until you make me upset again. Remember that one time? Where we almost like we, like we fold it nicely, right? We fold the situation nicely, call it forgiveness. We're good. No, I don't need to throw it away. We're good. I, yes. Don't worry about that. And the minute we're able to, right? Because that's the position of the one with authority who has to forgive. And all of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, but every couple in here has gone through this. Oh, here we go again, right? Like, oh, you're making reference to the past. But remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it expresses love as holds no record of wrongdoing. Holds no record. If you have been forgiven by someone they should hold, if they love you, they should hold no record of that wrongdoing. If you 
as a believer in Jesus Christ, have decided to forgive, the past is exactly where it is. I can hold no record of wrongdoing. And that's a definition of love. Some of you laughing now. It's, it's hitting, right? That's, a, that's like the, the, the sweet and sour a little bit. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I've never been there. But that's our struggle with mercy. The hold no record of wrongdoing. Think about how many times God has forgiven you for the things that the person sitting next to you has no idea about. And how many times he brought you back to your sloppy mess. You know what the answer is to that? Never. He never brought you back. You brought yourself back and then you complained to him and said, Lord, why did you let me? Oh, I'm going to let you. It's a decision that you have to make. As a church, we have to stretch for righteousness. What Marlon was preaching about last week. And I hope you left convicted. This is not a game. We must stretch for holiness. We must stretch for righteousness. And it's going to hurt every step of the way. But today we're talking about mercy. And every little bit of us having to give mercy unto somebody, it hurts. For the parents, when you're little ones, I have a five-year-old and I have a one-and-a-half-year-old. They drive me equally as crazy. But I was listening to another preacher speak about discipling and disciplining your children. And he says, if you discipline your children out of your own anger, it's a disservice to your child. Oh, I know. If you grew up maybe like me, maybe not like me. I'm not going to expose my parents. But like, you know, once you get that boot, right? I heard. I've heard. But once I was growing up, like middle school, you know, those middle school years too, like that's, ah, the boys, you're raging inside. The hormones are talking back to this, right? I look at my one and a half year old the other day and I'm like, Allie, I said something to her. I said, no, she goes and she looks at me and she goes, one and a half. And I can't stop picturing it. And who taught her that? Nobody in my house goes. She goes to daycare. That's what it is. And I'm like, what is happening? And then I talk to my five-year-old, and she is also like, Daddy, fine, whatever. What? See, back in 1990... Back in 1989, 90, 91, that didn't work at my house. I remember. I got a scar right here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't. My mother and father in the room, of course. I don't have a scar. But I do remember. I always expose my dad, but my dad loves me. We'll be all right. There was one time that I was older. I was probably like 20, 21. I believe I was already dating my wife, and my dad is trying to fix something outside the house, and the gutters are falling, and so he's trying to fix it, and he calls me over, and he's like, Papi, come help me. Papi, come help me. All right, Dad, what's going on, Dad? Do me a favor. Hold this two-by-four and hold it up like this. And just like, I'm going to try to fix it, but I need you to hold it up from down here. So I'm standing, and I, this is what I say. I'm like, why are you asking me to do it? He's, like, he's sta- sitting there. My, he's, like, he's my brother. He's, like, he's doing nothing, right? We've, for the older brothers, older sisters in the room, right? Why are you asking me? You got the little one waiting here doing nothing. 
It still hurts. You can tell, right? <laughs> and I said this, and my dad goes, he turns, and he goes to hit me with the two-by-four. <laughs> I understand some of you didn't grow up in a culture like mine. Like, that's okay. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> right, so don't, don't feel like, oh, my God, it was abuse. No, it's not an abuse thing. It's like... My kids drive me crazy, and sometimes when they make me upset, my response is anger and wrath. And when we regard the words of Jesus towards Father, he says, my Father, our Father, when he's teaching them how to pray, our Father. But he also acknowledges, which we don't always do, that he is a God of wrath. And this is the beauty about mercy, and this is fresh. This is something being put in my spirit right now, that mercy, the beauty of mercy is this. That it doesn't mean that God is going against himself when he grants mercy. Because when he goes to David, or when David comes to him, and David has slept with somebody else's wife, and then killed the husband, Uriah. Look it up in the Bible if you need to read that story. He forgives David, but he doesn't remove the consequence. The forgiveness doesn't, the mercy doesn't always mean that there will be no consequence. So he won't go against himself because he is also a God of righteousness, and he's also a God of wrath. But that's why mercy is also a person, Christ Jesus. Because he doesn't have to go against himself. The punishment was satisfied. I just got chills on my back. The punishment was satisfied. He doesn't have to go against himself. So the things that you've done wrong... You get the mercy, he gets the death. Can that sit in your heart for a second? You get to dance, he got to bleed. That crushes me. Verse 5 of Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. A merciless God would grant condemnation and judgment unto a sorrowful and authentic repentance, but that is not God. He gives us Jesus to satisfy the penalty. And the consequence. It didn't mean that there wasn't a penalty and a consequence. He was just able to fill that void with Christ Jesus. I want us to understand that. He never went against himself. He didn't just say, I'm going to give you this free grace and this free mercy and not satisfy what he said would happen in sin. He satisfied it through Christ Jesus. So where does mercy come from? Mercy comes from mercy. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9, it says... As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Try to picture this, storytelling. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher, at least they were acknowledging him as teacher, why does your teacher 
eat with tax collectors and sinners. But when he heard it, he said, Jesus replying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. Desire mercy and not sacrifice. What does that mean? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, he's being a little facetious here. Because the ones who are complaining are the ones who call themselves religious. And when you read the Gospels, you have to understand that the oppression, most of the oppression on Jesus came from people who called themselves religious. I didn't come to call the righteous, supposed righteous. I came for the sinners. But in verse 13, of course, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, because in Jewish culture, a lot of their culture still today, and even religion, is based on us accomplishing tasks established by laws. Established by religions. And he's not saying that's bad. But what he desires more is the mercy. You can do all of these laws and you can satisfy all of these rules, but you're unable to love one another. And you're gossiping about one another. And you're hurting one another. When you know that someone is at their home, they're struggling, they can't feed their children, you look the other way because you say, I have my own problem. Oh, but I went to church on Sunday. Oh, but I went to church on Easter this year. Oh, Jesus, don't forget. I thank you that this house is full and it's not even Easter. Crazy, right? Palm Sunday, insane. I thank you that today you, you got up and you said, I need, Je I need a cup full of Jesus. And you're getting it. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is telling us he cares for mercy more again than he does sacrifice. So why is mercy so important? First, mercy triumphs over judgment. When we are in a position to exert punishment or authority unto someone over others, we're tempted to be quick to judge that person in that space. But mercy triumphs over judgment. If it weren't for mercy, we would be automatically condemned by judgment. And mercy is an expression of God's incredible patience. Mercy is an expression of patience. How many times will God forgive us from the things that we keep apologizing for but keep going back to? That's his decision to make but it's in his character to provide mercy for his children. Of course, the posture that David had, right? I acknowledged my sin, and I didn't cover it. It's an example to us. Acknowledge your sin and brokenness, and don't try to cover it. That hurts, especially if you're someone who struggles with ego and self-esteem. Mercy may look like you feeding someone who can't feed themselves, Sometimes mercy means not making it difficult for the person who offended you to apologize. That is the mercy of forgiveness. Mercy may look like you taking someone aside who has wronged you and correcting them in private instead of making a spectacle out of it. Because that would make you look like you're the victim, so now you're like, like oh, this is good. 
No, I'm, be- I'm better than them. No. Sometimes mercy looks like you say, can, I, can I talk to you? Send them aside and, hey, can we? Mercy looks like God granting a savior for generations of people who often forget him, abandon him, dishonor him, curse his name, lack in faith for their salvation. Mercy looks like love. And again, probably all of us struggle with love, covenant, commitment. Today we're baptizing three people or more, still invited, who are making covenant with the Lord. And that's why we don't baptize in secret. Unless you call me at 3 in the morning, you're like, hey, the Holy Spirit is telling me I need to be baptized right now. You call us and we'll fill up your bathtub. But don't, don't wait. There's no need to wait. The things that keep us from baptism, fear and thinking we don't deserve it. Well, guess what? Let me solve both of those. Fear. Fear is sin. Thinking you don't deserve it. That's an easy one. You don't. But he does. And we join him, right? We're dead to our sins and our past, and we're raised with him. We deserve it, not because we deserve it, but we deserve it because he is worthy. When we stand before the Father in judgment, it says we're clothed in righteousness. That means God himself, through his son Jesus Christ and his sacrifice engulfing us in his mercy and his grace. So what God sees upon us is not the darkness and the sin and the undeserving of his mercy and grace. He sees his son, the Lamb of God. We need to get that. So as believers, we need to understand, do we deserve it? Nope. Easy easy answer. But he does. And I'm with him and he with me. For those getting baptized today, I'd like to invite you just to ready yourselves and we share in a moment in baptism here. For everybody else, would you just bow your heads and let's pray. Uh-huh.